Deathless Metal episode 59. In this episode I'm going to be looking back at the Finnish death metal scene from around 91 to 1996, covering a few classic albums and a few forgotten gems from that period. If you're sort of familiar with it in recent years, it's had a real renaissance, like a lot of these bands we'll go for and see didn't really last very long at the time and didn't really get much attention or chance to tour outside the country. But now, particularly bands like Demolich and Convulse and so on are actually getting a huge amount of acclaim and finally like their influence is being felt a lot deeper in the metal scene. I think I'm very much um, jumping on the bandwagon here. A lot of other podcasts have delved into great depth on this one, into the Combine, did an episode on it about a year back that was really decent. But hopefully I've um, found a few few albums here that you may not have heard of. First off, I should probably give you some context on where this group of bands sort of fits in the, the genre of death metal. So realistically, with death metal, you have the early American scene that was known for its, like, extreme brutality, speed, and technicality. Then, shortly after that scene sort of erupted, we got in the late 80s, very early 90s, the Swedish death metal scene came to pass, and the Swedish take on death metal was very different from the Americans. It was less fast and aggressive and more focused on atmospheric stuff, and sort of almost edging towards trappings of early black metal and so on. And you have a few other, like, offshoot scenes, like... The Dutch and the British both had the odd band, but they never quite had a coherent sound. You got a lot of different styles coming out of those countries. Finland, much like Sweden, did a thing where they had this just eruption of a load of bands putting out really cool demos that all seemed to fit in a general style. The difference between the Finnish style and the Swedish one is Finland just seemed to be that that touch more brutal, that touch more um, even evil sounding. And whereas like a lot of the, the Swedish bands went for the slightly higher vocal range, that edging towards the black metal shriek, um, a lot of the Finnish bands went for the really low guttural vocals just making basically everything about their scene was that bit less accessible than the other two because it didn't have the really flashy musicianship of your morbid angels or immolations or something like that for people to latch onto, and it didn't have the melodicism of a lot of those like dismember entombed type bands it was far more focused on just being absolutely horrible Alright, so let's kick things off with one of the fairly well-known bands of the genre. This is Convulsed's debut album, World Without God, released in 1991. So, Convulse are pretty typical for the sound of Finnish death metal. They're pretty fast, brutal throughout, excellent vocals, excellent guitar tone. This album's actually just a really solid example of the genre, where everything kind of went right. All the tones on it are really decent there's a solid snare drum sound and the album has this kind of relentless like d-beat nature to it like it's never quite fully blasting but it keeps the pace up quite well throughout just by having that kind of yeah slightly cheating its way around a blast beat the the guitar work is what really sells it because it's just heavy and nasty throughout and the tone just fits so perfectly they throw in a few solos here and there but they're mainly kind of like Kerry King style like dive bomb stuff or the odd sort of evil sounding melodic lead uh, the vocals are this nice kind of low but clear kind of bellow 
the whole album actually puts me vaguely in mind of something like Graves Into the Grave, where it's a bit more brutal than a lot of the sort of Swedish stuff, and just got a bit more of a to-the-point, straight-ahead nature to it. It's a 10-track album, and nothing on it clocks in at more than about four minutes. Like, there's no huge surprises in any of the tracks, but it's just excellently written, well-put-together death metal. There are a few interesting turns in this album. You get a couple of moments of slowing down to like a proper doomy chug in places, and on the final track, Power Struggles of Belief, there's a really cool uh, acoustic guitar intro before the, the full song kind of surges in. It also has one of those completely redundant death metal intros on the front, but so many bands were doing this at the time, I can't really hold that against them all that much. Suddenly, not long after this album was put out, guitarist Yanni Kuhanan uh, passed away, but the band did continue on and put out a further three releases, actually, in fact, breaking up in the mid-90s and reforming uh, in the late 2010, putting out a few more albums, kind of, Hence the the resurgence of interest in this genre. Like there was clearly suddenly a market for what they were doing again. I've not actually listened to any of their albums beyond this this famous first one, but yeah. So I don't know how they they hold up versus this. It's that difficulty of if any band comes out with an album this strong to start with, topping that's always going to be hard. Yeah. So if this is a genre you're interested in, I would definitely say World Without God is what like an essential purchase from the Finnish death metal scene. <laughs> Next up, we have a band uh, I think Will from Heavy Hole Podcast would definitely describe as Metal of Death. This is Funebre, spelled F-U-N-E-B-R-E, with their first and only album, Children of the Scorn. So Funebre started in 1988 and were one of the very first bands on the scene, along with Abhorrence, who we will come to in a bit. And their, their kind of take on this sound 
was very much, these guys seem to have the best guitarists of the lot. This album has some of the flashiest solos of all the ones we'll cover. But the other side of it is, the production makes it sound like a really fucking raw demo. There is definitely, like, a, I think a learning curve to get into this album, because initially when I first heard it, I was, yeah, I couldn't quite get past just how rough it sounds. But if you can get through all that, it is a seriously evil-sounding album. And there's some really nice stuff to it. It's, it's very brutal, it's very raw and aggressive. And the guitar tone's actually really good. It's just sort of all buried in there. Like, you could, the drums aren't that clear. The vocals are really cool as well. Like, another, like, really decent, low-guttural approach with a reasonable amount of enunciation in there. And as I mentioned before really good solos throughout it's a very long album as well and you know it goes through a lot of like nice movements there's there's certainly some variation in here we even get like the addition of some um like keyboards layered over the riffs in tracks like congenital defeat it, it's yeah just really solid work and especially considering it's one of the the first albums put out in the genre yeah a really impressive start the, the only sad thing is, yeah, this, these guys clearly didn't seem to get any attention and the band pretty much fizzled out as soon as this came out. And as far as I can see, no member of this band has gone on to do anything else and unlike a lot of the others uh, we've covered, haven't had any attempts at reforming. Fortunately though, although unlike some of the albums we'll talk about, it's really easy to get hold of their album. There's been a fair few re-releases um, with various different covers so, yeah, the, you can at least pick this one up without having to spend 150 quid on discs. Ogs. So I'd highly advise check this one out if you're if you've got more of an ear for like say say like with the Swedish death metal, you really enjoy those kind of nihilist demo tapes, or can even get your head around like stuff like early Hellhammer. This has a similar vibe of just being immensely evil but very very rough. <laughs>
Next up, we have a really weird one. This is Zizma, spelled X-Y-S-M-A. These guys started out in 1988 as Repulse and later changed their name to Zizma. Um, and we're talking about their debut album, Yeah. These guys, they had an EP out uh, called Above the Mind of Morbidity, which was far more kind of straight-up death metal. With Yeah, they took a really weird turn. I know Metal Archives has a description of this as being death and roll slash grindcore. And what's really interesting with this album is it's a combination of essentially like hard rock heavy metal riffs mixed with proper death metal blast beaty sections, all with kind of quite an upbeat atmosphere, but then these ultra-guttural, like, belched almost low vocals over, like throughout it there's no i think there's a couple of little spoken word bits and occasions where they vary it up but throughout it has this really like aggressive hyper low vocal performance which just makes the album have a very weird sound to it it's certainly something i've never heard before and i don't think a lot of bands have copied this with most of the death and roll bands tend to go for a more um acceptable vocal approach a kind of like a half scream going totally brutal there with a very interesting choice a lot as well like aesthetically this album is really strange the front cover is like a kind of washed out picture of the easter island statues and like a lot of the lyrical themes seem to be far more um sort of out there spiritual stuff rather than the usual Death, gore, and Satanism, which most of the other bands we've been talking about captures. Like, songs like Until I Reach the Unattainable, Above the Horizon, um, Uranus Falls, Why Am I? The, 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 Why Am I I, in fact, sorry. It, it's just, yeah, it's a very, very eclectic album. The band late, like, were one of the few that kind of lasted a very long time. They're it's actually still going now, I think, after a brief, um, hiatus uh, around like the late 90s to the sort of early 2010s but they actually like totally switched genre into like more mellow stoner rock later on which judging by the kind of riffs they're playing here is not a totally unreasonable approach all that being said about the kind of groovier bouncy riffs it's still quite a heavy album it's still really brutal in places and certainly something that wouldn't be accessible to your average kind of stoner fan the other side of it as well like when I was sort of doing the research for this, I couldn't believe this was one of the early ones. It felt like an album where they'd evolved a lot of the sound, but actually, this is still, like, came out mid-91, so it's one of the first um, full-length finished death metal ones. But they, they nailed a lot of things. The, the guitar tone, while a little buzzy and scratchy, sounds pretty decent. The drums sound great throughout, which is kind of essential for these kind of, like, fast, groovy riffs. As well, I'd highly advise this album, if you're going to give it a go, don't get put off by the first couple of tracks it definitely picks up in the in the middle of the album but overall yeah just a super interesting artifact this one
Next up, we have a band that took the madness to an absolute extreme. And I do apologise to American listeners for this next name. This is Funkunt, um, who were formed in 89 and put up two EPs. We're covering the second of the two of them called Calder Echol. Um, and these guys, I was going to say, are definitely influenced by the Dan Swano project, uh, Pandemonium. But actually, this all came out before that, so I have no idea where they got the idea to do this. This uh, two-track EP is two ten-minute-plus songs, which are mainly based around a core of like quite long-form, groovy death metal riffs. There's a good tone to them, like a really solid like bass and drum groove to it, with very sparse vocals, and then loads of bits were just absolute nonsense cuts in i made a few notes of it there's like occasionally like an out of tune violin squeak over it there's like horn sections a la like a madness song um some cool like layered synths in places a, a bit before like a really fun kind of like d beat riff comes in where a, just a clown horn sounds all the vocals are just, like, mindless shrieking. I'm pretty sure not in Finnish. I'm pretty sure, much like Pamphimonian, it's a complete made-up gibberish. But overall, it's a really fun experience. Their debut EP, I didn't like anywhere near as much. Like, that came out the year before and just kind of sounds kind of unfocused. Whereas this, despite all the kind of weirdness and throwing every idea at the wall, actually still has a core of really good riffing in it absolutely impossible to find now but um they they did then do a full length uh album changing their name to f uh and i think the album's called i dash i i i i don't know whether that's one dash three or what which is really decent but utterly impossible to find both the the debut eps you can get like via itunes i think they're on spotify as well and they're well worth checking out they're just really really weird I've never heard anything quite like this band, and the fact they predate Pandemonium, um, yeah, it is utterly incredible. It's very experimental music, it won't be for everyone, but the EP's only like 22 minutes long, so totally worth a go, and you might, you might find something good in there.
Next up, we have one of the really important bands of this genre, and one of the, like, real early trendsetters. This is Abhorrence with their one and only EP, the self-titled Abhorrence. They previously put out a demo called Vo Vulgar Necrolapsy, which is solid, but just way too raw. Whereas the Abhorrence album is the perfect mix of that kind of raw aggression, evil nature, just excellent guitar riffs, all capped off with a brilliant vocal performance by vocalist Yuka, who has this kind of slightly higher range, but goes to these really long, really pained, kind of like gravelly screams. Like, really impressive stuff. This band will mostly be known for um, guitarist uh, Yushi Alaroff uh, going off to form Amorphis soon afterwards, and Amorphis later covered a lot of Abhorrence material, and it kind of took the sound onwards. But this first EP is such a good example of the kind of hideousness of Finnish death metal. It's um, very reminiscent of uh, Funebra, who we covered earlier, that kind of hyper-raw guitar work. Everything's very rough and scratchy, but there's just something about this EP where the guitar tone is just perfection. It just works so well. The drum performance as well really caps this off. Like, Despite the kind of roughness of the recording, the snare is really clear and audible throughout and gives it a really nice drive to it. The songs are fast, aggressive, but overall evil. This is just really, really dark, scary music. They've released it in 2012. They put out the uh, compilation Completely Vulgar, which features both the EP and the demo, and then a load of like live recordings. The live side of it's borderline unlistenable, but the EP and the demo are like kind of essential if you're into your early death metal history. And actually, the um, the band did reform in 2018 and put out a new EP. Again, not I haven't actually got around to checking it out. Really need to do that at some point. Uh, otherwise, though, yeah, this will always be best known for kicking off a lot of the Finnish death metal scene, but also being the spawning point for Amorphis. And the first album in your collection if you alphabetize your CDs by band name. <laughs>
So the obvious band to follow on from Abhorrence with is Amorphis, and we're going to be talking about their first album, The Corellian Isthmus. So Amorphis formed after the breakup of um, uh, Abhorrence. Tommy, their guitarist, was picked up as vocalist and guitarist for this band by uh, two members of the thrash band Violent Solution, Jan Rechterberg and Issa Holokopian. So these guys kind of came at things in a fairly similar direction to um, Abhorrence. Like, the, the Corellianismus is... Most of you would have heard Amorphous at this point, but the first album of theirs is a far cry from even the next album, Tales from the Thousand Lakes. There's no prog rock on this at all. There's no clean vocals. There's no keyboard playing. This is all guttural death mo metal vocals, um, chuggy riffing, just, yeah straight down the line death metal where this has the edge over pretty much any of the other albums we've talked about is it's got a really slick production um courtesy of thomas skotskeberg of sunlight studios in sweden like the the his production engineering job on this just makes it sound that much bigger that like this is just really really chunky sounding even more so than say something like convulse we or Demigod, who we'll get to later. Yeah, this album's just got a real heft to it. But it still keeps some of the evil of abhorrence. Uh, the only thing is, I would say, is Tommy was never quite as good vocalist as uh, Cooper from uh, Abhorrence. He's He's got this kind of solid, very low guttural noise, but it's not a great deal of enunciation, and it's very sort of one note. He would... Um, Later go on to include some clean vocals in Tales from a Thousand Lakes, which was kind of cool. And then on the follow-up to that, uh, Elegy, he split the uh, the vocal duties whether they got in a full-time clean vocalist. And I think after that album, he stopped doing vocals for the band altogether. He's still like their guitarist to this day, although, as you may know, Amorphous are a band who have gone through a lot of lineup changes with their kind of vast move in genres and so on. But yeah, as I say, this album bears very little resemblance to what they were doing what they would go on to do later. Although, um, after this album, a year later, they put up the Privilege of Evil EP, where they cover a lot of the old uh, Abhorrence tracks, particularly, uh, I think the the famous one from this is the title track of the original demo, uh, Volga Necrolatry. Volga Necrolatry. Um, actually, no, it's it's not it's not a cover. That's the only cover on it. The rest are our original tracks but it's, it's more stuff in that vein personally i've always felt uh, uh privilege of evil didn't quite live up to corellianismus i i think corellianismus just has a bit more edge to it also a really beautiful album cover like a kind of um painting of like a big fantasy battle scene it's just got a really nice color palette to it but yeah much like convulse this is another one of the absolute classics of this genre i think one where it just landed and did exactly what it needed to do could be accused of a little bit of lack of variation morpheus never really throw any solos in there it's always um like slight slightly kind of like cleaner leads every so often but never anything progressing fully into a solo and because the vocals are a little bit one-dimensional this album i guess can drag a little but if you take any individual song out of it um, on its own, it sounds absolutely incredible, so I think that's possibly unfair criticism.
Next up, we have the band Demigod, who came out of the gate incredibly strong. So after a couple of rehearsal demos through 1990 and 1991, they put out the monumental Slumber of Sullen Eyes. This album is, for like the Finnish death metal scene, a very aggressive album. And it's one that's, um, I think, again really helped by the fact he's got an excellent production courtesy of Atti Korsalenian, who has uh, just yeah, brought everything to the fore, like really clear guitars and bass throughout, excellent drum sound, and the drum performance by uh, Seppa Talia... Tatila? Uh, I'm struggling with Finnish names. But the, yeah, the, the drummer on this, absolutely incredible. Interestingly, he would also go on to play guitar in a drum so clearly... A, you know, multi-talented man. But I think of all the bands we're covering today, this is my, like, absolute favourite drum performance. And there's something about it that's just so driving and brutal throughout. The whole album is a proper pummeling. The vocal approach is, like, very, kind of, low, brutal, kind of, um, deicide I think, uh, like, yeah, that, that kind of Glenn Benton when he's doing the lower vocals kind of approach and the whole band has actually a little bit of a DSI vein but the thing I love about them is despite all that pummeling throughout when it goes into the lead sections the leads are so well written these songs all rather than having like a big solo they all have these middle sections where things just get like super atmospheric and these amazing melodies come in they're not so much showy as just like really well constructed there often be like a tiny touch of keyboards buried deep in the mix just to add that extra layer of like subtle atmosphere it yeah it's, it's really cleverly constructed and everything about this album is just perfectly done there's i have no complaints about it whatsoever it's yeah definitely one of the classics of the genre i mean the, the only things i complain about is the cover kind of sucks but I, I mean it must be hard to get an album cover in 1990s finland um even like the lyrical themes, song titles seem to be that bit more interesting. They they haven't so much focused on uh, gore as kind of more existential stuff, as the the title of the album "Slumber, Slumber of Sullen Eyes" would suggest, and the kind of the figure on the album cover of the sort of meditative stance person with like stuff kind of bleeding forth from his eyes. It's just yeah absolutely excellent album the band um went on to release a i think they broke up and then reformed and released a further two albums in the early 2000s no idea if they're still going now their status is relatively unknown but that being said slumber of sullen eyes is really um a landmark album for the genre and i think at the time it came out must have been a an obvious high point the combination of that great production probably the the most impressive musical performances of any of the albums we've covered so far and just really tight songwriting it yet yeah, it's one of the one of the best from this period of time
Another band who came out of the gates in a very accomplished way was sentenced with their 1992 debut, Shadows of the Past. Now, much like Amorphis, if you know their later stuff, that's no real hint of um, what was happening on this album. Shadows of the Past is a fantastic one because it sees a difference from a lot of the stuff we've covered where the song structures are much more varied and long form. There's Excellently guitar work. The the solos on this are really brilliant. Um, this album is actually very much a showcase of the talents of uh, Mika Tenkula, who is both the uh, lead guitarist and vocalist. He his vocal performance is really cool as well. His like very first line of vocals in the album is it's ultra guttural low, and then like the, the full like low scream, and then the following line of vocals he goes a lot higher. Just yeah, really interesting, varied performance. His solos are really brilliant throughout. Still has that classic Finnish death metal, super evil, nasty guitar tone. Kind of like I haven't really said it up to now. Like the the guitar tone I'm talking about it feels like the the kind of buzzsaw of the um, Swedish uh, like um, Stockholm sound. That if it was somehow lower, um, Sam's got a really nice production job as well. Like the drums are really nice and clear throughout, and it's actually kind of in hindsight quite a star-studded lineup. So um, Mika was just like the main guitarist for uh, Sentence throughout, but um, on the on rhythm guitar we have Sammy. Lopaka, who went on to form KYPCK, who um, Rob, my podcast co-host, is a big fan of. Um, we have on bass and backing vocals Tonali Java, who would, for the longest time, be bass player, bass player in Impaled Nazarene, as, as well as um, a lot of other bands. And um, the drummer um, Vesa Ranta, who would go on after uh, Sentence to form The Man-Eating Tree, so, like, we got a lot of people who would go on to do a lot with their music career and a bunch of very accomplished musicians. But what they put together on this album is really fantastic death metal, but with, you know, a bit more of an experimentalizer, say, there's slightly longer song structures giving themselves more time to throw more riffs in there, play with ideas that bit more. The cover is a chaotic mess but i kind of really love it it has like like basically every color going on and it's just so detailed it's hard to look at um 
yeah, overall just a really well put together thing. But they so they would do a complete sort of left turn after this album. So their next album, North from Here, I would say feels very reminiscent of like a more shreddy early Children of Bodom. Tony Java takes over the lead vocals, going for a far more like black metal approach. Um, so they and then after that album, you get a mock, which is far more kind of like death and roll influence. So this is a band that clearly were experimenting with a lot of different ideas, and I, I like the way they kept evolving. Um, I, all those first three albums I really love. I haven't delved into their catalogue too much beyond this point, but I'd highly recommend giving all of them a go, even though yeah, but you could you'd be forgiven for not knowing it was the same band at all between each release. this time uh Pertenance put out member of immortal damnation very much in the similar vein of funebra or um uh abhorrence these guys play a kind of um really raw stripped back kind of very evil like quite atmospheric black but uh death metal um the issue with this one is just the production like i found the drums were like way too loud in the mix and the kind of the the way the guitars are recorded they're just like they're all buzz and not a lot else like it's quite hard to pick out a lot of the riffs it, all that all that being said though it's a really well written really well put together album and they're actually a band that managed to keep going and put out a fair few albums after this point another interesting one was god forsaken and their debut album dismal gleams of desolation so they go for more of that death doom kind of style very reminiscent of the really early anathema and like maybe the second paradise lost album the first couple of tracks i thought i kind of got a handle on it it was kind of 
exactly that style, no frills, but, you know, well put together and with a pretty consistent atmosphere. But then you get these cool, like, faster, heavier death metal riffs come in, which, like, nicely vary thing up, things up, which I was really enjoying. But then they go a bit almost, like, gro like too groovy. And the riffs are, like, really fun, but the, the whole sad atmosphere you expect of a Death Doom album is completely lost in these fun, groovy, like, bouncy parts. Like, the atmosphere is very all over the place with this. Because you look, look at the album cover, it's like a black and white picture of a, a tree by a lake and all the song titles have that kind of woe is me, death doom sadness. But then throwing in like a cool kind of Wolverine blues-esque riff in the middle of that feels totally at odds with itself. Still an album well worth checking out, though, if you're into that kind of style. This brings us to the obvious elephant in the room on any conversation about Finnish death metal. This is Demilich, or Demilich, with their one and only album, 1993's Nespetif, which is a completely bizarre album. Many bands have tried to replicate its sound since, and it's not an impossible, because this album is just completely off the wall. It's, essentially, it's in a vein of a lot of the other albums we've heard before, like, you know, these short three, three or so minute songs of solid death metal riffing with really brutal vocals. But everything is wrong and somehow it works perfectly. This band, like, did the very strange thing where they tried to inject a level of technicality into it without... I think, having any real music theory. So all the riffs are incredibly complex. The way, like, the guitars interact is... I have no idea how they play half this stuff. But also, it's all kind of a bit out of tune, but they, they've just handled it in such a way that it still makes for absolutely amazing listening. Also, like, the drum performance of uh, Mika Vernes on this is utterly incredible. Like, he, he keeps things really interesting and clear throughout while holding down these, like, mad mesmeric structures. These these songs all have that kind of nature where you're coming out the other side of it, you've got no idea what just happened. The performances of all four members of this are absolutely brilliant. The guitars have a really weird tone as well. Like, it's sort of, um... It's got quite a chunk to it, but also like a strange, like echoing nature to it, and not helped by the fact like different things will be happening in each headphone at all time. It's an incredibly like dark and off-putting album, but with yeah, really well done uh, production that kind of makes everything so quite clear. The the obvious thing to mention as well is the vocal approach is utterly ridiculous. So we have um, Anti Bowman is like famed guitarist and vocalist from this band. Um, you may know him recently. He was on the latest Blood Incantation doing guest vocals on their instrumental track. Um, and his vocal approach is this like super low guttural, like almost like belching sound he he kind of sounds like um in early carcass bill steers like pitch shifted vocals i believe bill steers vocals were pitch shifted uh, if they weren't sorry uh, <laughs> no no slur intended there but yeah these these like he must have been at that point in time one of the lowest vocalists in death metal because he's just before the rise of the brutal death and slam scenes out in like new york etc where the bands were all getting into those competitions of who could out low each other anti 
pretty much came to the game with this sound, and it, it's incredible. I remember reading an interview of him where he's saying uh, when recording it, um, he, he like everyone in the studio was just laughing because they couldn't believe the noise he was making. And I imagine if you totally isolated this from the guitars, it it would sound utterly incredible. Fitting with the kind of madness of the the music writing, the the lyrics and song titles are all totally bizarre. Songs like Within the Chamber of Whispering Eyes, um, or The Planet That Wants You to Absorb Flesh in Order to Achieve Divinity and Immortality. Just things that barely make sense on first passing, but all delivered in, in uh, Atty's ridiculous low bellow. The other thing about his vocals is, you can almost hear what he's saying, which is crazy for the kind of that super low, um, like like you would expect to have zero enunciation on that. It's it's an incredibly unique technique, and I'm glad he's managed to kind of get back on the road with this band because, as much as Demilich fizzled out at the time, because this album was way ahead of his time. I don't think anyone was ready for this, and I'm not surprised he didn't find any kind of an audience at the time but it has since been picked up by people it's been a massive influence on all sorts of bands you look at like blood incantation or uh Kifelist, stuff like that i imagine even stuff like gorguts has taken some elements from this kind of like maddening chaotic sound it, and it's really cool that they've actually been able to reform and you know tour the world headline festivals and play to like you know, absolutely massive audiences doing something as incredibly unique as, I guess, like underground Finnish tech death meet slam. Like, he has again beyond the vocals. There's, there's nothing slam about this album. Actually, there's not really any long chugging sections. But yeah, it's it's super cool. If you want to hear, I I don't imagine these guys are going to do anything more recording wise. It feels that this first album is too perfect. Any attempt to record something else now just has too high a likelihood of like soiling their legacy but if you want to hear more from some of them uh Atty's appeared in both the bands Winterwolf and Death Chain who have both put out like two or three albums in the mid to late 2000s and yeah some really solid material there nothing quite as mind-bending of this but I, I think there is a sort of childishness about this that whole like lacking music theory but playing like absolute like crazy putting huge amounts of time in that only a group of teenagers who didn't quite know what they were doing would be able to produce this is one of those albums that will just eternally sit alone as unclonable but also incredibly unique and just miles and miles ahead of its time <laughs>
Next up is a, a real oddball one. This is Depravity with their second and final EP, The Silence of the Centuries, uh, out in 1993. So Depravity, it just, again, it's just really, really well-written death metal. Like, there's an excellent atmosphere throughout beautifully crafted leads the the vocals are just right that perfect like low but clear um yeah it's, it's just all round great i mean uh, the album cover's awful but other than that this is just such a solidly put together album but i can't find a copy of it for love nor money it not digital or or physical I mean, you can get one off ebay for like about 150 quid but sadly this is one that is um very much lost of time. You can hear the whole thing on YouTube, so I'd highly recommend go and check it out. It's only like 20 minutes long, and it is just utterly brilliant start to finish. The really interesting thing about it is it features two incredibly well-known uh, musicians. You have Matty Johannesson, who is, well, was for quite a while, Corpa Clanny's drummer, and um, Enska, the lead guitarist of Sonatartica, who knew both of them were excellent death metal musicians back in the day? I never would have guessed it. I really hope they can just reform Depravity and tour these two EPs because I enjoy that a hell of a lot more than their other two bands. The other two members um, don't seem to have gone on to do uh, all that much else. But yeah, absolutely brilliant EP, but unfortunately I won't be able to share a clip of it because I can't get hold of one. The next band we're covering is a really fun one, actually. This is Lubricant with their first and only EP, Noopkaleptia. So this is um, this band, I think, is the closest anyone else has come to doing what Zizma do. Although, whereas Zizma have going really for the bouncy hard rock riffs, these guys seem to switch back and forth from some more like aggressive blasting sections, and then you've got elements of these really cool bouncy like groovy riffs they also don't go quite as deep on the uh vocals as um as uh, zizma do like the vocal approach is more mid-range death metal but the whole like down to the band name everything about them is a bit off like the front cover of the album is a photo of a naked man sitting on a big rock in the middle of a lake the the songs sort of sound like they're all kind of gore-based stuff, but um, stuff like expulsive gastroscopia or laceration of vasco-constrictive emotion. But I have no idea what they're on about. It's it's all very, um, very abstract and weird. But at the core of it, these short, really catchy, but still pretty aggressive songs. Um, the drum performance, again, on this album, and it seems to be a theme with a lot of these bands, is just really solid like very aggressive and fast when it needs to be but incredibly tight and just with the guitars just locking down a really cool groove throughout again it's another really sh like like De depravity it's another really short listen but really fun unlike depravity it's really easy to get a copy of you can um yeah i found on itunes for like eight quid you can get a collection of like all their demos and splits and stuff and this EP is uh, called Swallow This as one. And it's, yeah, just really, really solid. Uh, yeah, really decent finished death metal. <laughs>
Sadly, for most of the rest of this episode, I'm not going to be able to play a lot more music because I've just not been able to get hold of it in time uh, for this next band and one other. I managed to like, order the CD off eBay, but it's just no way it's going to arrive in time for recording. So if I mention a band, I'll, I'll share links on my like, Facebook and Twitter. Like You can find it all on YouTube. Um, otherwise, yeah, you might have to hunt on Discogs. Some of this stuff might be kind of expensive. So the next band we're covering... Um, Another really interesting one. This is Mordicus with their 1993 album, Dances from the Left. These guys had put out a, um EP beforehand, Freeway Day section, which is far more straight-down-the-line death metal. Dances from the Left, as the title might imply, all a bit weirder. Every, like, the album title doesn't sound like your typical death metal fare, and the front cover is like a Native American holding up a buffalo skull to the sun, so... Already, things are a bit unexpected. But as the album starts off with uh, I Bleed to See, it just kicks off into just really well-written, um, pretty mid-paced finished death metal. Again, a, a probably a higher focus on the kind of groovy riffing and some like nice little bits of lead guitar work. Really solid vocal performance. But what this album gets really interesting is they've thrown a couple of like interlude tracks. Uh, for example cybernetic summer which goes from kind of like kind of almost like psychedelic rock riffing but slightly detuned into like acoustic guitar moments then into like which then build back up into like a great like lead guitar outro and then we also have flames belief my sleep towards the end of the album a really uh, just beautiful acoustic interlude with some like keyboards layered over the top of it and then towards the end, we get tracks like Christ Decide, which are just brutal as all fuck. Actually, this that song does something really great, where the track nine, A Fawn in Holy Flesh, is like this far more doomy, slow, ponderous song. And in the end, it drags out this long ending, you know, much like a band, like, finishing up a set live. And it makes you think the album is just about to end. And then just as, like, the drums hit the last note, Christ Decide bursts in with, like, full blast beating, the fast this this band get throughout the entire album this is like two and a half minutes of hyper aggression just as you thought the cd was done it's it, like the interludes and everything this it's one of those albums where the placing of tracks in it is really well done it has a fantastic flow 
thoroughly interesting for all of its 45-minute runtime. Yeah, really impressive stuff. This band went on to put out a following album, Disintegration Groove, seven years later. I haven't got to that one yet, but yeah, ordered this CD because I definitely want to hear this again. This was a really impressive one and one I was completely unfamiliar with ahead of doing my research for this. Next up we have Gormant with 1994's The Ending Quest. They put an EP ahead of this called Into Shadows, but The Ending Quest is really the only thing this band were known for. They changed the name to Piper's Dawn soon after the release of this, but quickly fizzled out after that. This album is fantastic because it's one of the best in this list for really getting the change in pace. The, uh, the album opens uh, with the track... Uh, the title track actually, The Ending Quest, which starts off very ponderous and doomy, and it's kind of implied, it gives the impression this is going to be that kind of album like uh, God Forsaken we covered earlier, like a more doomy, introspective thing. A lot of the song titles and so on, the cover, all have that feel about them. But actually, after that first more like kind of doomy epic one, we get Veils of Tears, where it's straight blast beats throughout, far faster and more aggressive approach. The, the, the band keeps stringing things back and forth between that kind of more doomy with like nice little lead riffs leading to the next section into more like blasting stuff. Beyond that, there's not a huge amount of surprises. They've thrown a couple of acoustic guitar melodies and so on in there, but mostly it's just this kind of regularly pace-changing death metal. And they just nail it by having fantastic guitar tone, a really solid drum performance. Just It's just an all-round really, really well-put-together album. I think one of the guys from Horrendous recommended it. I think I saw in an interview where he said this was worth checking out. But yeah, this is another one, much like Demigod, where it's a band that seemed to just come out the gate fully formed with an absolutely great idea. Sadly, no one on this band seems to have gone on to do anything much else. There's a few slight niggles with it. It's... Like, it's an absolutely shit album cover uh, of, like, a kind of blacked-out statue of, like, a vampire woman over a... What is probably the middle-of-the-day sky, but it's been dyed to, uh, to look like night. And if you get the reissue of it, they've put some lens flare on it just to make it look even worse, apparently. But, like, that aside, um, it's just really cool stuff. Like, the, the album is absolutely just brilliant atmospheric death metal riffing start to finish with a really good guitar tone and really decent vocal performance.
Next up, we have probably one of the only albums I checked out for this that I didn't really get my head around. This is 1994's Dissanctuellium by Tenebrae, spelled T-E-N-E-B-R-A-E. Um, these guys kind of perform like a slow, stripped-back death metal. And the issue for me was, it's so stripped-back, it feels like there's almost something missing. Like, some of the songs have, a re like, have like an odd, like, start-stop nature to it, where, like, a riff will repeat, pause a second, then repeat again, and keep doing that in a kind of loop. The vocals are particularly the part I found it hard to get my head around. They're, um, they sound like a very... Dis, like indistinct shout in the background, like someone, someone like far away, like yelling across a crowded street. To you, it's 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 very odd. There's a lot of things to like about the album. It's got a really solid guitar tone to it, and some of the songs are like deceptively actually kind of technical and interesting. But yeah, there's a couple of tracks that kind of rub me up the wrong way. Definitely one to check out for completists and. They are a band where most of the members have gone on to be in other projects. Not much I'm familiar with, but certainly they had a lot of um, a lot of releases between them. Next up, we have the band Vomit Turition, who um, had quite a star-studded lineup. They put out two EPs before this 1995 release, A Leftover. Um, it's kind of an interesting mid-paced album. It's got a lot of kind of leanings towards like Swedish death metal, but then um, another band with quite a Glenn Bentony deicide vocal approach. Some great moments of lead guitar in here. It's quite a varied album throughout. Like yeah, just a thoroughly interesting release with some cool ideas thrown in there. This one mainly noteworthy in a lot of ways for its really star-studded lineup. Uh, drummer uh, Kai Hato actually doesn't put in an amazingly kind of complex performance, but it's incredibly tight. And this guy is now a really well-known drummer. He was in Rotten Sound, Swallow the Sun briefly. Um, he's the long-standing drummer for Winter Sun, the only the only like additional member on the the first album, and still in the band now. And is now playing for Nightwish as well. So incredibly star-studded career. And two of the other members of the band, um, guitarist uh, Mika Altolo, also went on to play guitars in Rotten Sound. And um, uh, vocalist uh, Keiju Niyama uh, went on to do vocals for Rotten Sound as well. If you're not familiar with Rotten Sound, they're absolutely legendary um sort of death grind band like really one of the best in the genre at the moment particularly their 2011 album cursed is fucking incredible really strong stuff but yeah the, this this album is is really great to see that kind of breeding ground for all these people as you know early musicians before they they all sort of spread their wings and went off in different directions and despite again another really dodgy album cover there's there's not much to fault about it really nice production job really well written songs and yeah just a like a thoroughly well performed album if in places possibly lacking ambition in some of like, the vocal and drum arrangements a band quite a departure from a lot of the others we've been covering are Wings formed in 1992 uh, they only put up the one album Diatribe in 1995 um Slightly getting in there ahead of Napalm Death with Diatribes as, uh, as a title. This band are quite different from the rest, although um, categorised as death metal, I think they take a huge influence from like 
kind of early goth and industrial. There's some real uh, feels of Nephilim vibes in there. The vocals are quite an interesting approach. They're kind of this like half-sung scream throughout with some proper clean vocal sections. A lot of very melodic guitaring throughout. Again, a really nice production job. And interesting enough, same drummer as the last album, Kei Hato again. This band, although they only put it as one album, uh, all the members of it went on to form um, Enochian Crescent, who are a more black metal-leaning band. So, yeah, going through a lot of genres here, but Diatribe's certainly an interesting one. It's not... It has none of the trappings of what I would think of as finished death metal. Most of the other bands had some kind of correlation in guitar tone or, like, vocal delivery. This feels completely separate from that. But still a really interesting release, very melodic, very catchy, but without tending into territories of actual, you know, Finnish melodic death metal. A band I couldn't really not mention are Dromalik, who uh, initially formed by a lot of the members of Demigod, but sort of went on to have quite a few lineup changes. Only Demigod's drummer remained as their sort of main guitarist for a time. They put out three albums, and they're kind of, they're a good one if you... Kind of like Demilich, but find it a bit too much, a bit too kind of all over the place. This is that idea sort of pulled back to a bit more of a musically sensible place, like similar vocal delivery, similar song structures, similar approach to riffing, but all with a much neater production. And it doesn't have to do that like slightly out of tune thing. Uh, Demilich really pull off well. I did find though this album. Uh, their first one, Psychostasia, was the one I gave a lot of time to. It sort of felt a bit lacking in soul to me. I, I don't know why this one really didn't click with me. Also, the vocals going very much for that similar thing to Demolich. Demolich, the vocals sound loud. Like, making that kind of noise. Most people can, like, do that kind of belch sound. But the fact he can actually project that and make that loud is incredible. Whereas this guy, he's kind of really low vocals, sound very whispery and very far away and sort of lack any punch. And that with a slightly sterile production, I, I just left a bit cold by this band. But I've heard a lot of people who know this genre well really rave about them. So possibly this is just me totally missing the point. I'd highly recommend at least giving them a go. Final band I want to cover on this is another really weird little gem I found. This is Paraxism, who did a couple of demos, and there's one EP, Dotism Excursion. And it's another bizarre little album. Again, I think there's definitely a Dan Swano influence in here. It's it's only 13 minutes long, three, three tracks, and they do a kind of death metal meets some more groovy riffs but where they really add something interesting is rather than any guitar solos they have a guest um electric violin player doing all the lead parts and also there's a guest mini moog player doing these kind of very uh swano-esque uh keyboard parts over like over some of the um like middle eight sections of the song like it's a very creative little EP. They're like the sections of melody really sell it to me. Like the, particularly the middle of the second track, "Fear," is just absolutely brilliant. Um, like it's it sounds very demoish in nature. These they definitely feel like a band. It would have been great to put them in studio with a high budget behind them because they they clearly have a lot of ability. Um, 
there's a three piece like uh, vocalist slash guitarist and bass player and then another guitarist and and a drummer and then the few guest musicians but they really did a lot on this this little um ep and it just is so gutting we'll probably never hear any more from them uh, no one on this band particularly uh went on to do anything else uh particularly noteworthy going on the metal archives page drummer Kimo is most famous for having a hot wife um <laughs> beyond that yeah no real mention which is a shame because yeah, this is a, a wonderful little gem unfortunately yet another one I, I don't know where you'd pick this up for it doesn't seem to be available for download anywhere and the EP costs about 50 quid a minimum and it's 13 minutes long but it's all on YouTube so like I might, as I say, I'll share a few links to all this stuff just so you can go give it a listen. Yeah, so I think that's basically it for my dive into the finished death metal scene. I basically didn't want to go much beyond 1995 because that's when a lot of the bands start moving into their m more melodic eras. And while stuff like Sentence and Amorphous, I went along with them for quite a way, I've never been the biggest fan of the Finnish death metal like melodic death metal scene i found found it never quite as engaging as the swedish or american equivalent and similarly finnish black metal's never been something i've really gone into in a big way but you can see sort of with musicians sort of throughout this list where they have jumped off into more interesting bands and mentioned stuff like winter sun rotten sound even sonic artica etc but it's great to see like a bunch of teenagers at the time could produce a, a kind of a whole sound this interesting and unique in their own isolated little scene like this is all just before birth of the internet so it's all back in the old tape trading days and for whatever reason the bands from finland just didn't seem to get the momentum a lot of the swedish ones did they maybe just being that little bit later maybe clashing with the birth of black metal they were kind of overlooked and overshone i mean black metal obviously appeared more evil because they had the makeup they had the image and they you know had the crime as well to go along with it the finish sheen is far more i don't know youthful and fun much much like the swedish scene you know a couple of years beforehand and you can see real parallels of where they sort of grew up but it just yeah so many bands it's just good to see they're now finally getting the attention and recognition they deserve and having having reunion tours, etc. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I hope you enjoy some of that. I, I hope I hope there's a few in there you've not heard before. I, I know this is well-plumbed territory at this point, but I, you know, I've been wanting to talk about bands like Gorman and Demi Lich for a while, so it was nice to have an excuse to do an episode all, on all of them. Uh, if you want to get in touch, hit me up on Twitter at Breakfast Metal or on Facebook, Phil's Breakfast Metal or Gmail, Phil's Breakfast Metal at gmail.com. As a uh, happy share links to any of the stuff I've found here, I know a lot of the bands mentioned have very awkward to spell names, etc. Unfortunately, because I wasn't able to get a lot of those last few bands' music in time for this, I think I'm just going to play us out with a bit more Demilich as it's, you know, one of the great highlights of the scene. Thanks a lot for listening.